So, welcome. Um, as you can see, I'm not Tim. <laughs> if you are part of Eastgate and you get a weekly update, um, it would have said that Tim was speaking tonight. Um, so, as of about one o'clock this afternoon, um, I was doing this message. Um, and I thought, yes, I'll talk about evangelism because that's what I always like to talk about. That's my little pet topic. Um, and as I was driving back this morning, I really felt like God speaks to me about something quite different. Um, and I thought, okay. Uh, I'll just lay that aside because God's agenda always comes first. Um, so I really love the fact that we just sang that song, Great is Your Faithfulness. Because a lot of what I share tonight actually just resonates all about the faithfulness of God. And because he is so faithful, um, we can trust him in absolutely everything. So the passage that I'm going to be looking at tonight is about Gideon. And you might think to yourself, oh, Gideon, how many times have I read this? I just know everything there is to know about the whole Gideon story. Um, so try not to just kind of switch off at this point. I, I really feel like God wants to bring something tonight um, through this passage. Um, so if you have got it up there, my lovely Jeremy, um, we're in Judges 6. So if you've got your Bibles with you... Um, Pretend like you're rustling pages if you've got it on your phones or your iPads. Just kind of humor me and make a rustling noise that you're finding the right place. Okay. So the backdrop. What, what's going on around the story of Gideon? So the backdrop is that they were under enemy oppression from the Midianites. Um, they'd come along. They'd taken all their crops. They'd taken all their livestock. Israel had been established in the promised land through what Joshua had done. But she had to displace her enemies. They had lost sight of their unique identity as God's people because they had accommodated too much of the Canaanite culture. And the theme of this all is is the faithfulness of God and how he keeps his promises. So if you read the previous chapter, it says that they were in their oppression and the whole of the Israelite nation cried out to God and it said that he sent a prophet. And the prophetic message says... God took you out of slavery. And I love that we sing that song, that we're no longer a slave to fear, that we're children of God. I want to just remind you of that tonight. Do you know that you have been rescued out of slavery because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done at the cross? So I want to ask you a question. What do your prophetic words say? If you're finding yourself in a place of oppression, you feel like all your enemies are getting the better of you, in that scenario, God brought a prophetic word. What are the prophetic words that you've got over your life? I just want to encourage you to to go back to them and refer to them regularly. So I'm going to pick this up from verse 11. It says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Asbarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, just that in itself is quite extraordinary. If you thresh wheat in a wine press, which is a very small, enclosed space, you are quite likely to asphyxiate yourself. <laughs> okay? When you thresh wheat, you do it out in the open. On a windy day, so all the chaff gets blown away and you get left with the wheat. These are desperate times that Gideon is in. 
the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That is what he spoke over Gideon. That's what he defined as his identity. How do you define yourself? What do you base your identity on? Do you base it on how you feel? What other people say about you? What your school report said? Or do you line up with what heaven says about you? Well, says Gideon, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I think this is astonishing, this bit. Everywhere else in scripture where you see an angel turn up, people go, whoa. And the angel's first port of call is, do not fear, because actually they're scared witless when an angel turns up. Not so Gideon. He's like, oh really? If all those things are true that you say they are, why are we in the mess that we're in? And why are we abandoned by God? Are you feeling abandoned right now? Have the trials of this life brought you down and made you feel hard-hearted and cynical? Has life not turned out how you expected it? That's the place where Gideon was at when this angel appeared to him. You might be asking, God, where is your provision? Where is that healing that everybody keeps talking about in this church and I have yet to see in my life? Where are the answers to my prayers? Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to go with what you have? We often find ourselves in situations and think, well, when this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and all the ducks line up in a row, then I'll go for it. Will you go with what you have? Do you believe God when he says to you, I will be with you? Even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. Do you understand the principle of partnering with God and working together with him to see your victory and your breakthrough. He says in verse 15, I am the least in my family. Do you find that you're quick to discount yourself? Do you find that you're quick to compare yourself with others? Oh, there's probably somebody way better 
way more gifted, way more anointed that could do this better than me? Is your default thinking, I can't do this? Verse 17, Gideon says, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Don't go away till I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. Has it ever occurred to you that actually God is waiting for you? We often think that we're waiting for God to act and for God to do something. Actually, maybe God's waiting for you to do something. So you know the story. Gideon brings an offering. um, And the result of this encounter is that actually fire comes down and consumes his offering. Um, In verse 21, the fire flared from the rock and it consumed the meat and the bread. And Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said, I have seen him face to face. The Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. He built an altar there and called it, the Lord is my peace. I want to suggest to you that you need some peace in your storm before you can see your victory and your breakthrough. And the thing that is amazing about this is that even though when he first comes to Gideon, his response would suggest that actually at this point Gideon's feeling quite bitter. He's feeling quite disappointed. He's using language like, I've been abandoned. He's got quite low self-esteem and low self-image. He's calling himself the least of all. But despite all of that, God came and accepted his offering and consumed it by fire. Do you believe that God accepts you? With all your faults, all your failings, all your shortcomings, all your disappointments, even if you've got any of this cynicism and bad attitude, do you know that God accepts you unreservedly and wants to meet you? regardless of all of those things, if you have any of them in your life right now. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd and the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole, build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God using on top of this type, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was the altar demolished and the Asherah pole cut down and the bulls sacrificed. They asked each other, who did this? They carefully investigated and they were told... Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of him, bring out your son, he must die. He's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So I want to ask you a question. Are there things in your life 
that you feel that God has called you to do. But actually, you're in fear of what your friends or your family or people around you might think if you go ahead and do it. I love that, that Joash, his dad, plows in and defends him. Do you believe that your father God will come and defend you and that he'll come and fight your corner if you do that thing and be obedient to him? However difficult. And in verse 34, it says, The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Do you know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you? Do you believe that? And it goes on. This is the the classic Gideon bit. God's encouraging him. He's telling him, you will save Israel. And he says, okay, can we do the fleece thing? If it's wet and and the ground is dry, I know it's you and vice versa. He does it twice. And you know what? God is okay with you asking for confirmation about stuff. He's all right with that. You can lay out your proverbial fleeces, whatever that looks like for you. And he's so kind. There's no point in it here where God gets cross with Gideon when he says, yes, but can we just do this a second time? Just to be sure. He doesn't get cross with him. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, God is not mad at me. Do you believe that? God is not mad at you. So it goes on to chapter 7. So there's Gideon and there's all his men. And the Lord says to him, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Say to the army... Anyone who trembles with fear can turn back. 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. That's quite a lot. Do you know that fear is not meant to be part of our walk with God? God can't take you to victory If fear is at the core of your life. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So then he still decides that there's too many. 10,000 is clearly too many. So he says to them, take the men down to the water and say to this one, go and that one stay. Gideon took the men down and the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands like dogs. The rest got down to their knees to drink. So what's the difference between those two? Well, the 300 stayed on their feet. They were positioned and ready for action. Are you positioning yourself for God to move and for God to do something in your life. God said to Gideon, with the 300 men, 
that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let the others go home. So off they went. So there's about 15,000 Midianites at this point and 300 men plus Gideon. What would that feel like? Fairly daunting to say the least, I think. So I want to ask you, what are you listening to? The Bible gives us an exhortation that we walk by faith, not by sight. If you were halfway through this story, you'd think by sight, they got no chance. 300 versus 15,000. Nah, this is not going to turn out well. God tells Gideon where to go to hear the truth. This is extraordinary. (laughs) During the night, God said to Gideon, I'm on verse 9, Get up and go down to the camp of the enemy. I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and his servant went down to the outposts and all the other peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. There's a lot of them. And it says in verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Anybody think that's a fairly random kind of dream? You could sit and think, well, I'm not sure how I'd interpret that. But instantly, his friend responded and said, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. How bizarre is that? Do you know that if you get into the place of prayer and you ask God, he'll give you the secrets of the enemy camp. He'll tell you what their plans are so you can chop them off at the knees. You can head them off at the pass before they even happen. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, verse 15, he bowed down and worshipped. This is a really, really important point. Gideon chose to worship God before the battle was won. Before he got his victory. In your place of struggle and battle right now, do you choose to worship God before you get your breakthrough? Do you worship and rejoice in him like you've already got the battle won? like you've already got the breakthrough. He returns to the camp of Israelite and says, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. He divides the men into three companies. Watch me and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do as I do. When all who are with me, blow your trumpets and go around the camp and blow yours, shouting for the Lord and for Gideon. And it goes on, verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. 
After all of that, they didn't even need to fight. God caused the enemy to all turn on each other. It says in the New Testament, that a house divided against itself will fall. The enemy was so divided that they didn't even have to fight them. So the moral of the story is, against all the odds and against this bizarre situation, they won the battle just because they listened to God and obeyed him and did what he said. And 300 of them defeated 15,000 people. And if you go on to chapter 8, in verse 4 it says, Gideon and his 300 men were exhausted, yet kept up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. I want to say to you, if you're really tired right now, and you're really battle weary, don't give up. Don't give up. You might just be one prayer away from your breakthrough. So he's exhausted. He keeps up the pursuit. They defeat the Midianites. And he also kills the men of Sukkoth and the men of Peniel because they didn't give his soldiers some bread earlier. And he comes across these two kings and he kills them and he chops off their heads. He is now unstoppable. We have gone from somebody who was terrified in a wine press saying, I'm the least, I can't do this, no, I'm not your man. To actually saying, I'm going to slay anything in my path that's an obstacle or hindrance to my victory right now. Because he understood his identity. He believed what God said he was, that he was a mighty warrior. That's a real key. Another key, he understood and took God at his word when he said, I am with you and partnered with him. And that promise is the same. God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus gives the great commission and he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Next key, obeying God and going with what you have. The next key, believing that God accepts you as you are, that you can see success despite everything that looks like it's going on in your life says otherwise. Next key point. Fear has no place in our lives. The Bible says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So if we've got fear in our lives, what's the answer? You can answer this. Shout out. Absolutely. It says that perfect love casts out fear. So it's not about summoning up all the courage we can find. It's not about just thinking, I can be bold, I can do this. Actually, it says perfect love casts out all fear. 
So if that is a feature in your life and you know that it is, and it's holding you back in some area, then the answer for you today is to get that perfect love, to cast it out. Gideon is completely acceptable to God. Despite his cynicism, despite his disappointment, despite all the things he just feels are not going well right now, God still comes and meets with him. So if any of that is going on inside any one of you, God wants to meet with you today and deal with that. Worship. Before you get your breakthrough, worship, celebrate, rejoice, thank God like you've already got your breakthrough and your victory. And finally, keep pursuing God and don't give up. So I just want to take some time now that we just got the opportunity to just pray for each other. If there is anything in any of that you feel is relevant for you right now, do you just want to stand up? Okay, just engage with Holy Spirit. Yeah, come Lord. Come Lord. Thank you God that you know each and every heart here. God, you know each and every situation that all of them are going through. That you love and that you care for each and every one of them. I want to pray, God, you would come and bring that perfect love that casts out fear. And I feel like some of you have a very specific phobia that actually is is kind of plaguing you. Jesus said that I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. If you have got a fear thing, a phobia thing that actually stops you living life to the full, then Jesus wants to set you free from that this evening. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, God, I want to pray for those that are weary. God, that they would keep pursuing you. God, that they don't give up. Yeah, come and give them a bucket load of joy, Lord. God, your word says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come and overwhelm them with joy, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, God, if there's anybody here that's got any cynicism or hard-heartedness or disappointment. God, I pray you would just give them the heaven's affirmation. God, to know that because of Jesus, they are completely and utterly acceptable to you. More than that, that you love them, that you care for them, that you cherish each one of them. And your heart is to bring them freedom. Yeah, God, just come and soften those hearts, Lord. 
Just come and speak words of healing. Come bring words of hope, God. Yeah, I want to pray for a heart sickness. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I want to declare and prophesy trees of life to start springing up all over this place. Yeah, tree of life. Mm. I want to pray for people's identities, God. For those that have just lost sight of who they are, God. I pray you'd remind them again of heaven's name for them. Father God, how do you see them? What do you call them? Whether it's mighty warrior, beloved son, cherished daughter, friend of God. Just pray you'd just come and remind people of prophetic words they've had, God. Stir that up, Lord. Stir that up. Infuse, inject hope. God, because you are faithful. You will do what you said you'll do. You keep your promises. Yeah, just take this opportunity for, if you can see somebody standing nearby, just jump out and just lay hands on them. Just pray. Just want to see God bring some real freedom to people this evening.